Hey, Brock, how are you? I'm pretty well. How are you doing? Great. Well, uh, what's what has been up in the last week for you since we talked? Well, uh, just just working. Uh, it's been a, a big content week. So I've been doing a lot of video and uh, writing, and I'm, I'm actually going to let's see, next week, uh, the week, let's say a week from now, I'm going to LA for a week to uh, hang out with uh, the AJ from Art of Charm and uh, a few other guys in that uh, in that circle. So I'm trying to, you know, preload all the content so. Um, so I can still have a running blog and YouTube channel while I'm kind of on vacation. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw you just needed to return uh, Banana Republic pants. Yeah, I man, I was a little disappointed in those uh, Banana Republic Traveler pants, um, which I think I think they're different than their Traveler jeans. These are like a cotton spandex blend, um, and they had them in size 28, 28, which is pretty cool because that's a pretty small size for a big store like that. Um, but there's just a couple little things that the pants just weren't quite there. And I think that the deal breaker for me was the rise, which had like a super low rise and I like a, a higher rise. So, you know, that's something that can't be tailored. So I had to send them back. Yeah. I, uh, I feel you on the pants sizing issue, but I have the opposite size is that uh, it's tough to find taller guy stuff as I'm sure it is tougher to find shorter guy stuff. What, what do you wear? What's what's your inseam? I'm a 30 waist, 34 length, which uh, you can barely ever find in stores. Some I know some that are 30, like 32, 36, which is another big tall one. But uh, yeah, it's it's the small waist and the long legs. It's tough to find. We just don't fit into the uh, the corporate bell curve of of sizing. I know, I know the struggle is real. <laughs> it is funny that it's you know no matter. If you're taller or shorter, or, you know, big or small, it's like uh, if you're not average, it's going to be tough, <laughs> basically. Yeah, but it is cool. I've, I've noticed more and more uh, companies that cater to short guys specifically. I saw, I know there's a company that like basically started on Kickstarter and now uh, they do the shorter stuff. I saw you did, I saw you've written about them before. And I think, uh, I think now is a time where small niche companies can really uh, serve the purpose of and, and have a really good customer base. Yeah, I agree. I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, actually, that reminds me. I, I think your your latest video was uh, like a watch subscription service review, right? Yeah, Watch Gang. Uh, they do they do monthly deliveries of watches, like boutique watch brands, and there's two tiers to pick from. But then they also like one of their big hooks is uh, they give away a Rolex every week, and so that'd be a pretty cool uh, giveaway to essentially put yourself in on. But um, I think it's it's pretty neat. I usually wear the same watch every day. It's a smartwatch that uh, tracks steps and has a silent alarm. But uh, the more like fashion watches you see out there, it's it's really interesting. Um, especially like MVMT is probably the biggest one that's is kind of pure play, uh, online only watch brand. But there's a lot of people that go for it's it's a style piece more than anything now. Yeah, it's it's watches are so divisive because there there are so many new brands uh it's you know it's cool that there are so many like kickstarter brands um coming out and they all have different styles and you know i think there's something for everybody and, and it's pretty affordable these days but whenever you talk about watches 
people get very passionate about, you know, their opinions on whether, you know, it's even worth owning a quartz watch, you know, for example. So I think it's just for some reason, it's one of those products that people just have such strong opinions on. So I know I've only done a couple of watch videos, but it's just like people get really fired up <laughs> about watches. So yeah, uh, personally, I'm that is sorry. a reason I've stayed away from them largely. Like I saw you did a, a minimalist company uh, that does minimalist watches and I'm and it's one of a thousand watch companies that do like minimalist watches. And uh, I bet you, I bet that's where you heard a lot of the feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, basically I think for the purists out there, like you mentioned that, you know, you have your eye on uh, a vintage Omega and, you know, for people who will only buy a mechanical watch or will only buy, you know, a luxury brand, you know, for them owning a, a quartz watch that's made in China is just like, you know, a sin. <laughs> so, and, and I kind of get that. Like I kind of get buying high quality stuff that's, that will last for a long time that you can hand down to, you know, your kids. But at the same time, it's just a watch, you know, and if someone wants a, a movement watch or, a, a you know, any other fashion brand, I think that's fine. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, that, that is the reason I stayed away from them. I always like to say it as Omega because that's the way that Daniel Craig says it in the James Bond movies. Well, then that, that's probably the right way. <laughs> <laughs> it might not be the right way, but that's that's his way. So that's that's I could I think I pronounced it that way in the video, but nobody called me out on it yet. They probably just assume that you know something they don't. <laughs> yeah, I listen to uh, James Bond. That's where I get. That's where I look for inspiration. Actually, I have uh, the shirt that he wears in Skyfall with the uh, Secret Service, the, the British Secret Service logo on the chest. Uh, I got one of those, and I use that as a running shirt. And uh, it, I just, it feels so cool to wear. Nice. Yeah, he's a uh, man. It's it's crazy how James Bond, regardless of who's playing him can just popularize something, you know, like, I mean, even like watches, like going from uh, Rolex to Omega or Omega, um, just like, you know, people just want it because, because he's wearing it and I don't blame him. He's like just one of those awesome fictional characters that I think everybody kind of looks up to. Yeah. Somebody commented on the video that they bought a tag hewer, uh, Carrera because their style icon or their man crush is uh, Steve McQueen or uh, maybe I'm misremembering the the reference but he said he bought the tag here based on that and I think I think it's cool yeah so what are you are you have like big goals for the year or uh, like what are you shooting for this year any shift in in things that you're trying to make or ways you interact with uh, the audience besides this podcast well, yeah, the podcast is definitely definitely a cool uh, addition, I guess, to to what I'm creating. Um, I'm really trying to make video a priority. Uh, it's it's always been a secondary thing, you know, compared to my blog. And uh, I still really like writing, but but yeah, I'm trying to make video a priority. So um, thinking video first, and then you know, articles as a supplement to the video uh, for people who prefer reading. Um, so that's that's kind of what I'm up to. I mean, no, no big shifts uh, with the modest man, just just trying to really produce the best content I can on a regular basis and, you know, eventually maybe even um, double down on content, you know, doing two or three posts a week versus just one. So 
Do you want yourself? Do you want to hear my uh, YouTube conspiracy theory as to why this is a good time to be focusing on that? I'd love to. All right. So if you watch, uh, like I'm subscribed to a few, um, like YouTube creator uh, type of channels where they they talk about how to, to boost your channel and engage the audience. So I'm subscribed to those, and what you see a lot from those videos, and I think it's I get recommended videos because I watch the those types of videos is there's a lot of people and this was one of PewDiePie's big arguments uh, just recently was that YouTube was killing big channels because people weren't seeing his videos and even though people were subscribed they weren't getting the notifications because of the bell and blah 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 and uh, a good case study of this that I noticed last week is my wife is subscribed to Jimmy Fallon on YouTube because she watched Fallon back when he was on the the late show before he was the tonight show and he's got what I think like 20 million I think it's 20 to 30 million subscribers he is a sizable number of subscribers and mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm gonna tie this all together so uh, he has 20 million subscribers 20 to 30 million Stephen Colbert has he just crossed I think the 2 million mark because he basically started from scratch and he's been growing and he's you know he struggled initially because his content wasn't really YouTube focused and uh, but he's been growing more and more and she ha- I've been noticing that she's been watching a lot more Colbert than than Fallon so taking so I take those two points I take the people who think that YouTube is killing big channels and that subscribers aren't seeing their their content properly and then you take the the Fallon and the Colbert and what I believe has happened and from YouTube's standpoint this is perfect because YouTube has just uh, essentially lifted engagement across their entire platform with their recommendation engine which didn't used to be the default view on YouTube it used to be when you had a YouTube account and you logged in you basically saw like a Twitter feed of your subscriptions and new videos that were posted and that used to be the main way that people interacted with YouTube, and that's why people want people to subscribe because then you show up in that feed. But YouTube has now shifted to that recommendation block, and then their entire front page is now algorithm-driven based on what you've watched and the subscriptions that you frequent. Because one thing you also notice, you might notice this on your personal channel uh, or your, your personal viewing habits, is you'll see more videos from the the channels that you subscribe from and regularly watch than if you don't. And so you might not even get either a notification or a, a homepage slot for a channel that you subscribed to a few years ago and you never really watched their videos again. But if you subscribe to a channel now, watch a few videos like mine, you're probably seeing a lot more of mine now on your recommended because you've recently subscribed and you've been engaging and that's why I'm popping up more. And so to close the gap on the PewDiePie thing, even though people are seeing less of his videos, the only people that are seeing them are the more engaged ones. And for him, this is a problem because even though he has 50 million subscribers, since YouTube has started to make these changes and send out notifications, only the most recent, maybe five to 10 million are actually getting notifications because YouTube didn't used to do the notifications thing. Right. And so Mm. now that they've switched to the notifications, the newest subscribers that you and I earn are going to see those uh, notifications but somebody who subscribed to something years ago will not necessarily, if ever, get a notification about you know one of these old channels. So this is the best time to pivot and really focus on YouTube is because the subscribers you get today will be the most engaged. It'll You'll have to try and re-engage with some of the old ones. 
that don't really see your videos right now, but any of the new ones will start to get more focus on the homepage. They'll see you more focused on their homepage and they'll get notification or possibly get notifications because YouTube's algorithm also favors. Uh, if you get a notification and then you watch it, then it knows that you want to watch more of those videos. If you get a notification and you don't watch that video, then it de-emphasizes those in your own personal algorithm. So I don't have any actual data to uh, back this up, but that is my um, that is my theory as to why I'm seeing certain videos. My wife is seeing certain videos, and uh, oh, and the close and to really close the Fallon um, Colbert thing. Fallon's latest videos, if you if you look at the average number of views after 24 hours on Fallon's videos, they're usually around half a million. And he has 30 million subscribers. And Colbert, who has you know two million subscribers, his average video views are going up to one million. And uh, mm. even though I prefer Colbert from a uh, from a comedic standpoint and a personality standpoint and everything else, there's no reason that he should have more consistent vi- consistent uh, views on a new video than Fallon just on pure subscriber numbers. Even though I think people are reacting and, and watching videos in certain ways. Uh, that's my that's my conspiracy theory. Feeding into the YouTube conspiracy theory, I believe that that's the case. Is that YouTube is trying to boost overall engagement, which they're doing with the recommendation engine, but then individual channels slightly suffer as they've been making changes and implementing uh, notifications and implementing the recommendation page as opposed to the subscription page. Hmm. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. I mean. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's hard to get data on like what they're actually doing. Um, I saw a uh, a guide, uh, I think it was from Backlinko, about like video SEO in 2017, and you know they did this huge analysis and they tried to figure out how basically how YouTube's algorithm works because um, it's similar to Google's, but it's it's not um, it's two separate things. It's just like you know, like Google's different than Google News, YouTube is different than Google. Um, even though I'm sure they share a lot of the the same code uh, with their algorithms. But I think that, kind of like you were saying, I think that YouTube is pretty sophisticated in terms of what they put in front of people, what content they present to people. And it's it's all, everything they do, at least according to this guide, everything they do is to increase watch time and to stop people from leaving YouTube. So if I think if there's little things like as a smaller channel, if there's little things that you can do to get people to stay uh, on YouTube, and, and whether that's watching more videos or reading the comments, I think that's how to that will give YouTube a reason to show people your videos, you know, or expose new people to your videos. And like, for example, if you see like some of my po- most popular videos, are the ones that have the most comments. I think that most people, like once a video starts, most people scroll down to check out the comments. And if there's a lot of comments and there's some, you know, if there's fighting in the comments and, you know, there's this discussion going on, I think that, uh, you know, that helps. And that was one of the the uh, strongest correlations they found was number of comments and uh, number of likes and dislikes on a video. So it was basically engagement and just engagement just means people staying on the site, you know, and interacting versus leaving or getting bored and going somewhere else. Mm, interesting. That is, it's funny you say that because if I watch when I watch my wife use YouTube, she starts a video and about ten seconds in, she's scrolling to the bottom trying to look at comments. So that's <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. definitely see that being the case. I also think that, um, and they they kind of found this too that like the titles, uh, titles, descriptions, keywords, like all that stuff doesn't really matter for keywords. Like you have to have a compelling title, but I don't think. 
I think YouTube is smarter than that now. They're kind of past like the keyword. I mean, the same way that Google is, you know, you can't just put a bunch of keywords in and expect to rank. I actually think they're probably transcribing every video and using the words in the that are spoken in the video, uh, or even maybe the word the text on the screen, and not necessarily the words that are in your title and description. Yeah, I can definitely see that, and and yeah, the focus on watch time is very apparent. Um, you, it's like the it's like the biggest uh, statistic that they show when you log into your analytics. I mean, that's what it, that's absolutely what they care about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, one of the things that we are looking to do on the podcast is not just have these like weekly talks about some things that are going on in our channels and and like the uh, like the behind the scenes director commentary, but also to bring on people who are within this space, whether it is other YouTubers and bloggers uh, and, or, so we'll, we'll talk to those people that are kind of in the fashion space and the YouTube space, but also possibly like company founders or just people that are doing interesting things in our, in, in our kind of little microcosm of the internet, which is like men's style and fashion. And so uh, today we'll be talking to Tanner, is it Guzzi or Guzzi? I believe it's Guzzi. All right, so Tanner Guzzi of Masculine Style, and uh, so we'll let him jump on here, and then we'll we'll close out the show afterwards. So we'll jump over to the interview now. Well, that's that's, pr- that's probably a good uh, a good segue into <laughs> into the introduction <laughs> of uh, of Tanner and and your channel and everything. Um, and, and I know I, I know you have made some changes with your career and your uh you know what you're up to recently and you know we don't have to talk about any of that but if you if you'd like to yeah um, happy to okay okay cool so yeah just to uh i guess for anybody who doesn't know tanner runs a uh youtube channel um it's just under his name and then a blog called masculine style uh, he's also got a background in the custom menswear industry so um very well-rounded in terms of men's style men's lifestyle and uh uh, he's also, I think, what sets Tanner apart is uh, he focuses on the the philosophy of dressing well and the why behind it. And you know, as, if you look at the comments on your videos, like people, you have like rabid fans. I, I think it's because you're you're one of the only people focusing on that part of style. Um, so so yeah, that's that's a uh, that's Tanner. And if I left anything out, feel free to introduce yourself. No, that's great. And I just got to say that this. Um this idea of having really good rabid fans is something that's just kind of cropped up recently. And every time I get a comment from a guy who kind of speaks the language that we're talking about, and you can tell that he's watched videos, I'm sure that you guys feel the same way when, you know, you have a guy who really just kind of gets it from the same perspective you do. There's nothing that endears me to guys more quickly than that. We're just like, I want to meet you in person. I want to be friends with you. You seem like you're awesome. It is interesting that, um, the way, the way you present your information too, it's, it seems like more of a conversation, you know? Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of YouTube, you know, influencers or bloggers or whatever, they kind of present information, but you seem to, uh, start a conversation. So you even do like one video and then ask a question and then based on the comments, do a follow-up video, uh, that, you know, addresses, uh, their comments and questions and, uh, moves forward the conversation. So, so yeah, very cool channel, very, uh, unique content. Well, thank you. Tanner, what took you into uh, starting up online, starting to do videos? What was what was your path? So I kind of fell into this uh, a little bit bass backwards. I have a degree in broadcast journalism, and what I originally wanted to do was political talk radio. 
Um, I wanted to be like a young, more libertarianish version of somebody like Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck. And there was not really anybody who was kind of speaking to that demographic. And so I thought that that's where I was going to be able to make a name for myself. And when I graduated from school, there were no jobs to be had. It was the middle of the recession and everything sucked. And I had written political blogs for a long time and got sick of how heavy the topics were because it's depressing to write about that stuff all the time. And so I started Masculine Style as a way to continue to write and keep my voice sharp and continue to find opportunities to get better at broadcasting, but just to write about something I enjoyed, which was men's clothing and dressing better. And ultimately that ended up doing way better than anything else I ever covered politically. And uh, it's just grown from there and has now become my, my full-time gig. And I, I couldn't be happier doing it. I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. What was your, what was your background in the, in the menswear and the clothing side? That's the best part about all of this is um, my background literally came from I was a punk rock kid who worked at a bank and had to wear suits and ties. And I didn't like the way that my stuff was too baggy. And so in between clients at my desk, I would read blogs and I learned how to dress better and started applying those principles that way and then just started writing about it from kind of that perspective. And so it grew organically as I got better and better at it. And then that eventually led to my working for a custom menswear company called Beckett and Rob, um, whom I actually just left like a week and a half ago and not because of any sort of differences in beliefs or any sort of problems with the company. I still love those guys to death, but I just wanted to focus on masculine style full time. But I've done custom suiting for hundreds of clients over the last four years. And so I've got a really good technical basis on men's style to partner up with my philosophical understanding of it too. Wow. You think the bank then is what triggered your transition from punk rocker to style guy? I mean, it, it, it might have been a right place, right time type of thing. But uh, like I, I know that I've seen Brock made that transition and I transitioned out of wearing jean shorts and cargo shorts. But you think the bank is really what was the inflection point for why you wanted to begin dressing better in your education? You know, I think it was – it's something I've always been hypersensitive to because even as a kid, my parents pulled me from public school in fourth grade and put me in a private school. And eighth grade sucked for me because I had to wear a uniform and none of my friends did. And I got I got teased for it. I got picked on for it. And so I was always sensitive to what my style was and, and what clothing did as far as how it helped or, or hindered my ability to interact with people around me. But yeah, I think the bank was, that was when I first really started realizing that what I was wearing when I was at work, where I was spending the majority of my time wasn't reflective of who I was, nor was it reflective of who I wanted to be. I was wearing somebody else's uniform and there was certainly a way that I could wear something that was in within the dress code, you know, a shirt and a tie, but still have it be reflective more of who I am and what my aspirations are as opposed to just looking like another soulless loan officer. Yeah, have you? I'm wondering, like, on on the topic of suits, since you've worked with so many guys to basically help build out their suit wardrobe, um, and it's probably there's some self selection going on because the guys that would come into your shop are guys that obviously care enough to go to a custom suit shop, so they understand the the value of that. But is there anything that you find yourself having to educate people on over and over again, like maybe one or two things? that you keep seeing other than just generally, you know, your suit needs to fit, um, that people 
maybe just don't understand or, or have misconceptions about in terms of, you know, their formal wear? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, it's probably the opposite of what a lot of listeners would assume. And it's that, I mean, our audience, the kind of guys who are listening to this podcast, the guys who read our blogs or watch our channels on YouTube are guys who already understand the value of clothing. They understand the value of dressing more intentionally and, and all of these other benefits that come from, from caring about your style. But the mistake that most guys think is that in order to get better at dressing well, that means that I have to dress more uniquely. And for most guys, that means, you know, brighter colors or bolder patterns or something else that's going to make them stand out even more. And really that's more of like a beginner to maybe intermediate level move. Whereas the real experts, the guys who are really killing it with their style are wearing stuff that, yeah, the colors are simple and there may be pattern, but it's not solely dependent on pattern, but it's a focus on the way that things fit and the texture and the the quality of the, the cut. And so if you could focus on those things rather than, I have to have a bright orange window pane suit and that's how I'm gonna be stylish, then I, more often than not, I'm talking guys down off of that cliff than helping them understand that uh, you need to be wearing a suit for a wedding or something else. And so most guys end up taking it too far. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like you, you see a lot of guys when they first get into this stuff, especially guys who like to dress up, you know, like dress in uh, mm -hmm. more formal outfits that, and they have the pocket square and the, the button air and the tie and the ring. And it's like, just, it's like overboard, you know, it's just too much going on. Yeah. I call it gentleman cosplay because it really is wearing a costume just as much as if you were to show up in a Spider-Man outfit or anything else. Uh, that's good. One of the, uh, one of the quotes that I, I saw on Instagram once they said, uh, the only, the only people that don't wear suit jackets to a wedding are little boys. And that one always like stuck with me is like, that is like, a, that's a gentlemanly thing to do is you look proper and you look dressed up. And if you're just wearing a shirt and tie, you kind of look out of place. Exactly. But at the same time, you don't need to wear a three-piece suit to go grocery shopping on a Saturday. And too many guys who get into menswear feel like, you know, I'm going to, I have to wear a suit everywhere because that's the only way to be well-dressed. And, you know, it's the proverbial, the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer and everything starts to look like a nail. Yeah, I, I remember um, to that point, Tanner, you had, I, I, it might have been an Instagram or a Facebook post, but you were out uh, hiking with your family and, you know, you're wearing, I think it was like cotton chinos and a button up shirt. And it, your, your point was, you know, we don't need to go for a, for a walk in the woods with your wife and your child. You know, you don't need uh, Patagonia, you know, jackets and hiking boots and, you know, compression shorts. It's like cotton is just fine, you know, for something like that. And so you don't necessarily have to, you know, I guess that would be kind of like wearing the hiking costume, which exactly. is exactly. Yeah. Right. Whereas if I'm going on a three day camp, I'm a, I'm a scout leader. And when I go for our big high adventure camp this, this year for a full week, I'm going to be wearing stuff that's way more appropriate for it being that long, as opposed to going for a walk in the mountains for an hour with my family. It's knowing what's appropriate given the environment and dressing accordingly. Which, uh, which high adventure camp are you going to? We haven't decided yet, but I think we're going to go up to Jackson hole. Uh, I did four trips to Seabase and it was like the most incredible. Those are my, my absolute fondest memories, uh, from, from scouts or from my childhood was, was Seabase. So we didn't do the Jacksonville awesome. one, but, uh, the, yeah, 
that was that's really cool. I didn't know you're a scout leader. It's, that's really neat. Yeah, I'm a, I'm brand new to it, and I'm loving it so far, especially because I hated scouts as a scout, and so now I get to kind of redeem the organization and from my own perspective and try and do better than my own leaders did. Yeah, I mean, I was I was an Eagle Scout in '09. I got my uh, Eagle Scout. So that's uh, same here, brother man. Yeah, very cool. Well, uh, is there something that you think you've you failed or learned from um, like recently that you think others should know about uh, so either something uh, in your career or in your, your channels, something that, uh, you know, piece of advice. Yeah, I would say one of the hardest things uh, that I am continuing to learn and finally starting to get a little bit better at is being able to know the right balance between what you want and the other people with whom you have a, an interdependent relationship want from you. Um, we live in a weird time where we're basically told that the only thing that you have to be loyal to is what you want and what you want from your life. And obviously that doesn't work when it comes to basic relationships like with a marriage or as a father, but it even doesn't work when it comes to the relationship that you have with your boss or with your coworker, with your coworkers, or even from our perspective for what we do, it doesn't work with the relationship that I have with, with my audience. And so if all I want to do is create, I don't know, uh, a bunch of videos and my audience is way more interested in a book, then what I need to do is be able to find a way that I can mesh those two together or create something that works for both of us so that I enjoy the creation aspect of it. I'm not totally just selling out and doing what somebody else wants from me. But at the same time, I'm not just saying, well, screw you guys. I don't care about this relationship. I don't care about any give. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Really good. In this transition where uh, you'll be spending more time with Masculine Style and uh, and your YouTube channel, um, now that you have some more time, how does that change, uh, you know, what you'll be focusing on, I guess, you know, for the rest of this year? I, I know you, you're working on a book and um, and you're putting out more videos. Is there anything else going on? Dude, that's such a good question. And honestly, that's one of the things that I'm both most excited and most intimidated about. I was uh, talking with uh, Ryan McGinn the other day and he was asking me if, you know, all of a sudden I'm going to start upping the frequency of, of my videos um, because yes, the frequency has gone up, but I've also played around with increasing the quality of doing, you know, good edits with some color grading and music and stuff that's a little bit more storytelling as opposed to just advice giving. And I, I don't know what it looks like. Do I move to where I'm doing like one really high quality video a week? That's almost like TV level production. Do I bust out six videos a week and it's, doing something that's uh, kind of run and gun. It really just depends on what resonates with my guys and how I can find my voice in, in doing those same things. But same thing goes with the book. You know, I, I don't want to be an over perfectionist and never release it. It's been three years because I've been way too focused on getting everything just right. But at the same time, I don't want to just throw it out when it's not ready. And that's, what's so fun about doing what we do for a living and being able to kind of run your own ship is you just get to experiment and figure out what works best with your audience and what works best with you. And hopefully those two were mutually beneficial instead of mutually exclusive. Yeah. Yeah, man. We, we were just talking about that before, uh, before you jumped on the, the whole, I guess it's kind of a quality versus quantity debate. I mean, not that you can't have both, but, but yeah, you're really, you know, really producing something or just putting out a lot of volume. Um, and, and I don't know if one is better or, or if, you know, it just changes depending on your channel. But, uh, but yeah, I noticed some of your recent videos had a lot more edits and B-roll and music and, 
um, which I kind of like, but you know, it's, I think that guys mostly come to your channel for the, uh, the knowledge, you know, so I probably the production is kind of a cherry on top, but, uh, but yeah, it's like you said, just an experiment. So you just gotta keep going, you know? Yep. Well, uh, we try to keep these pretty short and punchy, but, uh, John, you got any other questions for Tanner? No, that's all I got. That was uh, very informative. I've been, I've been following more recently on your Instagram stories. I just, uh, I just saw your your more casual stuff the other day, right? Your polo, mm. uh, very interesting. And it'll be, I'll be excited to watch as you uh, progress to full time this year and kind of change things. And I think that's really exciting. Thanks, John. Yeah, I'm really excited about that too because now all of a sudden I went from I wore a suit six days a week because I needed to for my for my work, and now all of a sudden I don't. And my casual game is something that arguably has has lacked and i'm excited to now have this challenge and i'll be inviting my audience along with me as i kind of go into it's like okay this is what i know but i'm not where i want to be so i'm going to take you guys you know with me as i as i figure out how to make my casual style as good as my suiting game was and it's i'm really looking forward to that challenge over the next few months so we'll, we'll link to all your stuff that on the show notes but uh any uh, parting words or where can people uh follow you or find out more about you yeah, so the best ways are definitely through the YouTube channel and then Instagram. And then lastly would be Twitter, especially if you want to get to know me a little bit better beyond just kind of the style stuff. Everything else, I've got presences, but those are those are my three main focuses. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's good, good to chat and catch up. Thank you for listening to Buttoned Up, a podcast project by Brock McGoth of The Modest Man and John Shanahan of The Cavalier. And we will see you next week.